Hey, welcome to the Afikra podcast. My name is Mikey Mhenna. On the program today, we have Professor Eve Trout Powell, who's going to be talking to us about Sudan, slavery, Egypt, colonialism, and a lot more. I hope you enjoy the episode. As always, if you'd like to support Afikra and keep these events coming, go to afikra.com/support. That is a f i k r a.com/s u p p o r t. Great. I spelled support properly. Okay. Hope you enjoy the episode. So welcome everybody. My name is Mikey Mhenna and our special guest is Eve Trout Powell. She teaches history of uh, the modern Middle East and the history of slavery in the Nile Valley and the Ottoman Empire. As a cultural historian, Eve emphasizes the exploration of literature and film in her courses. She's the author of A Different Shade of Colonialism, Egypt, Great Britain, and the Mastery of the Sudan, um, which came out in 2003 from University of California Press. and the co-editor with John Hunwick of the Di- African Diaspora and the Mediterranean Lands of Islam which came out uh Princeton series on the Middle East and Marcus Weiner Press in 2002 and her most recent book is Tell This in My Memory Stories of Enslavement in Egypt Sudan and the Late Ottoman Empire which came out on Stanford University Press in 2012 Eve welcome to Afikra Thank you so much Mikey it's so nice to be here thanks everyone for coming This is uh, an honor and I've been I told you this the first time we met that I've been really really looking forward to having you on the series for quite some time so I'm excited about it. Let me ask you a basic question. How many people who take your classes know anything about slavery in in Sudan before taking your class? I would say uh some of the Sudanese students I've had as undergrads um have known and um also uh graduate students i have an afro turkish graduate student who's taught me a lot about slavery in the middle east and the ottoman empire and um but but i would say that these are a minority and that most of most undergrads don't know much about it um grad students know because they come to work with me about yeah. things like this yeah. most don't The reason why I ask is because when I was 18, I probably didn't know much about it. I probably had a hint, but I probably didn't know much. And so I, the reason why I'm asking that is I'm curious how much you knew and why did you start studying this? I didn't know anything about it. I I had no idea. I mean as as an American who did not major in Middle East studies in college, um I had no idea. when i was accepted as a presidential fellow i think i was in the first round of the american university in cairo's presidential fellows this is back in 1983 i didn't know i didn't i mean i didn't even know people spoke arabic in egypt um i spoke i thought they spoke hieroglyphs and um but it was my experience with people from south from now south sudan because there was a huge and then growing in the subsequent years I I've been I've lived in Egypt um it was from walking down the streets with friends who were dinka um and hearing the 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 uh, epithet of abid hurled at them and not knowing what it was that's how I came into some knowledge of it um but it's not an easy thing for people to talk about at all so that's why I wanted to study it I was telling you this before the call I wanted to start with um just sort of an overview of um these three books but I I kind of want to start with the third book 
But before we get into it, from your perspective, if you were to explain this to like a 15 year old. I've tried. <laughs> yeah, you've tried. Okay, so as you've tried to explain it to the 15 year old, what would you say is the sort of major takeaway of a different shade of colonialism? I would guess two things. The first being, let's say you are, are you know, a 15 year old who is of, you know, is African descended or is friends with someone who is. Let's say you have experienced or are wondering about racism and the racism in your culture is only represented through, you know, the legacy of slavery, the Atlantic slave trade in the United States. So one of the things that I would say to this uh, curious 15-year-old is that where there is slavery, there is a legacy, and that legacy is usually a racist legacy. The people who are descended from those who are enslaved or look like they were walk into these walls of insult, disrespect, um, and the erasure of their history. The second thing that I would say is that racism is expressed in many languages, and it's not only an American thing. And you have to kind of learn to respect the different ways in which race racism manifests itself. And when you know that, you check your own racism at the door. The more you learn about it, hopefully the more you check yourself. So um, in what way, let me ask you the question, in what way is the colonialism or the racism or the, the slave trade in Egypt and Sudan different than the sort of uh, imagined uh, imagined sense of racism or the Atlantic slave trade or slavery in other places in the Ottoman Empire? It's different because people people are so careful about how they, they look at it. In Egypt, at least in Egypt of 1992, when I was there researching for my dissertation, or in 1997, when I went back to turn my dissertation into this book, the people who talked about racism were Sudanese. Uh, but Sudanese, not from not necessarily from Khartoum, certainly not wealthy um, exiles who were who were in Egypt, but people who whose status turned them into refugees because of the civil wars in in Sudan. And these were usually poorer people, didn't, you know, um, but with this status of refugee, um, they lost a lot of rights and they were hearing a lot of terminology that sounded to me a lot like racism. But as I was researching this book, I was kind of under the impression that anybody you talk to in Egypt who seemed to be, you know, darker skinned, um, it was my American perception that they would automatically assume that they had experienced racism. And I was totally wrong. You know, um, I received a great deal of help, a great deal of support and friendship from the brother-in-law of Sadiq al-Mahdi and his whole family. And they were in Cairo at the time. And um, he didn't he didn't feel like he was being treated in any kind of racist way and corrected me and said, you know, little American girl. I mean, not he wasn't rude, but he was like, you need to you need to get more delicate about this. When I was in the uh, National Theater Archive, um, 
looking at the plays of um, the plays of um, Nagiba Adihani, and then um, um, I'm forgetting his name, the one who was in blackface, who was the comedian. But this was a lot of kind of vaudeville, and there was a lot of blackface, and a, and a lot. Ali Al-Kassar, thank you so much. Uh, you know, people, you know, there was a lot of underemployment, a lot of actors out of unemployed sure. actors. And when they saw me reading these transcripts and I wasn't laughing, you know, they were like, you should be howling with laughter right now. So they would read them out loud and they would be laughing. Then I would laugh because they were laughing and it was funny. But yeah. then I was um, a fellow at the American Research Center in, in Egypt. And there were a lot of people from Aswan who worked in at, at, at RC. And I thought I would show them the plays too to see if they thought it was funny. And they, they were like, this is not funny. You know, this mm. is an insult to us. This is not funny. And then my, my younger son was very little. He was three years old. Um, we would sit with this wonderful, this was later um, in 1997. And I would bring him to this wonderful guy uh, who had this great candy shop, you know, kind of everything kind of, uh, but he had room for us to sit down and he would give Jabril all kinds, my, all kinds of candy. And then I would show him stuff. And then he would sit there and be like, this is funny. This is not, this is funny. This is not, this is insulting. So I think that, um, uh, what's different is the, is the, um, just how you situate yourself inside legacies of slavery or nationalism. Um, and that's, that's something that is not nearly as, as discussed in the United States. Yeah. 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 Okay, I'm gonna jump into the, into the most recent book, the 2012 book, Tell This in My Memory. This book is structured in a really, is very, very differently. It's focused on the stories, um, and sort of first person accounts as much as possible. Tell me why this was an important approach to writing this book and why you sort of revisited the subject in this way. Um, I did it this way because I got really interested in slave narratives in, um, for, especially from the American South. And people kept saying in Middle East studies, well, you know, we don't have slave narratives. There are no slave narratives. And I was like, hmm. And so that was one question. And then the other question was actually, this book started with uh, St. Josephine Bajita. It started with her. I was introduced to her, her image, you know, um, through uh, Catholic uh, Sudanese refugees. And in Cairo, um, at the time I was researching this, but I had noticed her before. She was beatified in- uh, 2000. 2000. No, she was, no, she was, um, she was canonized in 2000. Oh, canonized in 2000, she, yeah. was, she was beatified before that. And her picture started appearing on many of the of Cairo churches. So in Abbasia, there is the Sacred Heart um, Cathedral. There was her picture. Um, um, in Zamalek, there was her picture among four different. And I was like, who is this person? And, and, and so my friend, Yar, um, started taking me around to show me and, and uh, Saint Bahita meant a great deal to her. She, a friend of mine who was Dinka um, from Juba. And um, so I tried to write a whole book about Bahita, but everything is in translation. We don't mm -hmm. know for sure what she exactly said. And this made me think, you know, how do you get a narrative out of someone who's being held up 
as as a sanctuary and a heroine. And then I thought, you know, um, with some help from some colleagues, maybe it would be better to see if I could find other slaves who had former slave, formerly enslaved people who had written their their own narratives. And of course, we've got a couple, you know, in these chapters, but you couldn't really tell their story without looking at the stories of people who own slaves, who who surprisingly said quite a bit about the slaves in their lives. Um, and that's how this came about. Yeah. And I also think this book is a lot less angry than my first one. Um, um, I think I was more angry, <laughs> yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, and in this one, you know, I was tenured, I was cool. I didn't, you know. <laughs> well, I think um, the impact is definitely, uh, is definitely different. I would actually say that this book, even if you were less angry, hits harder. Oh, really? That's an interesting thing to say, Mikey. Huh. Um, Why do you say that? Because I feel like you're just laying things out. I don't, I don't hear you as much. Oh, interesting. I hear, I hear them. And oh. so, it's, so mission uh, accomplished. Yeah, mission accomplished. Yeah, exactly. Oh. oh, that's nice, Mikey. That makes me feel good about it. Okay. Yeah. Okay, let's talk. I want to talk a, a kind of go chapter by chapter a little bit. Take me to going into this yellow paged book. Yes. Um, <laughs> and what is, you know, who is, Ali, let's just uh, set the scene. So who's Ali uh, Mubarak? What is this book? Why were you digging into it? And okay. what did you find? Okay, so Ali Mubarak Pasha is someone I was introduced to in my first book. Um, and he was off and on a very powerful man during the rule of the Khadiv Ismail. And then after, until uh, he, he was often out of favor um, uh, with Tawfiq. Um, he was a very important politician. He was a very important scholar. Um, and he wrote all the time. He's got uh, immense novels, um, um, and he wrote this chitet, this al chitet al tafakir al 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 qahira, and all this. He wrote this as he had been commissioned by the Khadid Ismail to tear down huge swaths of Cairo. So as he is this, you know, hugely powerful uh, civil engineer tearing down all this stuff. Um, he adopts the style of 10th century um, chitat, which is a topographical, it's, it's, a, it's a topographical encyclopedia of everything in Egypt. It's, it, it's an Egyptian historical literary style. It's like, and, a, it's like literally the yellow pages almost. It is literally the yellow pages. And, um, and, and yeah, and, and, but what's so it's huge, it's very long, but what's so interesting about Ali Mubarak is he'll put in these very dull stories. I'm just telling you, like there are no page breaks, no, you know, paragraph breaks, but so you have to sort of train yourself for his rhythm because he'll be telling the story, well, this man he was the Pasha of this, or he was this, and this, and he goes, you know, it reminds me of the story of when I married the slave. And then he goes on and on, and you're like, whoa, you know? And um, so he's setting, he is just such a fascinating historian. You know, he's so, I, I mean, to be tearing things down and yet raising R-A-I-S-I-N-G, them up in this book, 
you know, and putting in all this history and clearly putting so much of himself that I've always found him, you know, he's unreliable yet reliable, you know, he's fascinating. Yeah, he's almost, he, he reminds me almost like um, of the, the like Robert Moses <laughs> of Cairo. I hope not as evil, but. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot to that. There's a lot to that. Yeah. So tell me, you started, you, you hinted at this idea. You introduced this term of top, uh, topographies of slavery. Right. So you know, he's saying these, these stories, but like, what did that actually tell you? How did it make the book? How did it, why did you lead with this as the first chapter? What do you want the reader to take away from? Um, I led with this because Ali Mubarak is one of the first to use racial terminologies. You know, mm -hmm. he uses Abiyad, he uses Iswin when he's talking about different slaves. He gives you in al khitat the history of slavery in Egypt. And then he helps you not only understand what it was like under the Mamluks, et cetera, but he also shows you how, where the enslaved were in palaces, where they lived, the spaces they were in, who they belonged to, how they dressed or were dressed, how they were represented, um, um, as well as his own relationships. Um, you know, he would never have gotten anywhere in life if he hadn't applied for a job with this Effendi, Ambar Effendi, who mm -hmm. his mother was one of the first midwives trained. She was a Sunni slave, trained at Asr al Hospital in midwifery. Ambar Effendi got a secular kind of education. Ali Mubarak failed at, in, in, in every madrasa he was in. And so he applied for a job. He thought he was applying to an Ottoman or kind of, you know, we call them Turco-Circassians, mm -hmm. you know, um, and this guy was Sudanese and he had all these people who Ali Mubarak describes as white kissing his ring. And he said, to, and, and he and his father were like, he's a slave. He's not a slave. He's a slave. He's not a slave. And then they ask, they go up and they're like, are you a slave? You know, and he's like, you know, no. And do you want this job? <laughs> and this and that. And Ali Mubarak says to his father, if he can get someplace with that kind of education. I want to, I want to do that. And he really becomes who he becomes because of Anbar Effendi. So right there, you have this personalized narrative about race, about preconceptions of race and slavery, and yet a sort of willingness to try to get in on whatever is working. Yeah. Okay. So I want to broaden the discussion a little bit and to what are you working on now? What questions are sort of nagging at you and yeah I guess let, let me ask you like that what questions are nagging at you and then what do people still not get that you're frustrated about do you feel like there are things that people just don't get and if so who are the people that you're talking to what's nagging at me is finishing this damn book I'm trying to finish um which is a book that explores the visual culture of slavery in the Middle East um, and I've got about three chapters and I'm really struggling with Orientalist painting. And I've gone deep, deep, deep into French art history um, um, and now back to Egyptian history um, 
finding out how much Napoleon participated in slavery from Darfur when he invaded Egypt and just who are these black people that end up in the pictures of Jean-Léon Jérôme? You know, what are they supposed to represent? Um, how do the formerly enslaved, how, how do they start using the work of photography in order to kind of seize their own images? And um, so that's what I'm, th- those are the questions that are nagging at me right now, really nagging at me. Um, well, who, who are they for? Are they for a, your, are they your for? students? Are they for sort of the broader American public? Are they for oh. um, Middle East scholars? Are oh. they who are oh, they for? All of the above. All of the above. Really? I'm 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 always is that is that um yeah is that possible? Uh, what are you trying to say, Mikey? <laughs> no, uh, I wonder. I mean, like I've never I've never written one of these books, but uh, I feel like. I would imagine that in your in your mind's eye as you're writing it, you're thinking of a specific audience who you're hoping to reach. I'm okay. Well, definitely a Middle East studies audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, definitely an African studies audience. Definitely a cultural studies audience. Definitely an Africana studies audience because I'm in two departments. I'm in history yeah. and Africana, and I've learned so much from my experience in Africana. Definitely for my students, um, probably my graduate students, because they are the hardest readers I've ever had. And I would really love my sons to read this book. We can arrange that. Okay. I'd like you to read this book, too. I will. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> okay. I want to I wanna move to a quick Q&A, because we're going to get a bunch of questions in, in the okay. chat. So let's go to the quick Q&A. First of all, no judgment. What are you reading or watching right now? Okay, uh, I'm reading um, a translated novel from um, Emile Zola, who's a very important part of the visual culture in France during, during Orient, the height of Orientalism. So I'm reading that. I've been reading a lot of Zola. I've been reading a lot of 19th century French folks. Um, and I'm watching, bottom feeding all the way. Okay, uh, I'm a daily watcher, Judge Mathis and, and Maury, if I have time, love those shows. And I'm forcing myself to watch Fauda, the uh, scandalously bad um, Israeli program, because I'm, I, I want to write something for the Journal of Palestine Studies. I want to write a review article about, about passing through Arabic and Hebrew um, in Israel and Palestine. Cool. I can't wait to read it. Okay. Who would you love to shadow for a day, past or present? Ali Mubarak Pasha. In in the interest of time, I'll just leave it at him. Yeah. Okay. Do, do you think he was a, a a popular guy? I do. Okay. Interesting. I do. He seems like an interesting character too. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. What do people most misunderstand about your work? I think there's a great misunderstanding in general in Middle East studies about the work that Africana studies does. I think that there is still a very big misunderstanding that someone like me um, is imposing um, my sense of race onto um, the Middle East. Um, and I think there's plenty of examples of, of, of racism and discrimination um, in the Middle East that have nothing to do with where anybody comes from they're just they're just there you know we had an explosion of blackface performance a couple of years ago especially during you know george floyd brianna taylor you know it was just crazy sometimes meant to be supportive so i think that's what that's what's most misunderstood about my work mm. yeah. yeah okay outside of your profession whose work do you admire or are inspired by 
I am inspired by Dwayne The Rock Johnson. I love it. Yeah, this is my this is my favorite answer. We've been doing this, you know, for three years, but this is my favorite answer thus far. I love him. Right. Okay, we're gonna open up to some questions. We have two thus far. Um, Jackie, I'm going to ask you to unmute. Hi, can you hear me all right? I hear you perfectly, go ahead. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much, uh, Professor Into Africa for organizing. Um, I've been thinking a lot about how heavy a word colonialism is and how it's motivated, you know, not only political movements, for example, decolonization, but also people's sense of their own identities in opposition to a binary other. Um, it's a really term. And I'm wondering, since the publication of your first book, you know, what are some of the strongest reactions that you have heard from other scholars who are working on issues of colonialism in the region, often from different angles, regarding your use of the term in the context of Egypt and Sudan? You know, has anyone taken issue, for example, with you drawing parallels between what we usually might think of when we hear the word colonialism in the region, say British and French power in Egypt and Egyptian power in Sudan? Thank you. Yes, Jackie, thank you. Uh, if I may call you Jackie, thank you so much for that question. And yes, I faced a lot, a lot of opposition for using the term colonialism. Um, but I stuck with the words that people of the time themselves used. And, you know, in the late 19th century, well, in the 19th century period, there was really, it, it, it was an honorable thing to be a regional power if not an uh, international power that could that could colonize, um, and of course, you know, with thinkers like um, Ahmed uh, Ahmed Lutfi Sayed or others who chose to translate colonialism in Egyptian relationships to the Sudanese as you know we are helping our little brothers you know we are helping our immature brothers you know this unity of the Nile Valley. Um, I still think that you can use that term colonialism in a non-European form, because let's face it, even you look at East Asia, you know, you look at Japan and China. I mean, there was colonizing that was not only done by the British and the French. You look at the Russian empire, there was plenty of colonizing there, you know? So I think we kind of have to, we, we kind of have to open, you know, our understandings of, of colonialism. You know, I'm, and I'm certainly not excusing the British Empire, the French Empire, but um, I do think we have to open it up. To, so I stick by it. Amazing. Well, we just finished with our time. Eve, thanks so much for taking the time to do this. I really, really no appreciate it. It's not time at all. It flashed. <laughs> it's gone. It was so much fun, Mikey. Thank thanks you so everyone much. for listening. And I'm just, I'm now committed to Afikra. Amazing, as we are committed to you. So um, I hope that you get to, I hope we didn't interrupt your your Lowry <laughs> watching or your Mathis <laughs> watching. Um, and Don't worry, I have got it all taped, it's all on. It's yeah. all on tape, okay, amazing. <laughs> well, this is gonna go up on our podcast and on our YouTube page. If you don't already subscribe, it takes a second, just hit that big button that's a subscribe and share with your friends tomorrow when it goes up on the feed. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. Hey, I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you'd like to watch the full uncut version, go to youtube.com slash There you can see the full video versions of these podcasts. 
If you'd like to learn more about what we do, go to hafikita.com where you can learn about our Zoom events, our live events in 30 different chapters around the world, our social media presence, and our podcasts and YouTube stuff. You should know that everything we do is all towards a mission of converting passive interest in the histories and cultures of the Arab world into an active intellectual curiosity. By listening to this, you're a part of that movement, so thank you for being here. If you'd like to support our work, go to afikda.com support and join the hundreds of people around the world who make this work possible. Thanks. Thanks.